So last week I mentioned that when we read through Paul's letters, you oftentimes have to sift through all of the words in order um, to find his message. Uh, and, and I don't think Paul is, is trying to be obnoxious here. <laughs> I think what happens, I think with Paul, he is so overjoyed by what Jesus had done for him and what he had called him to that he just can't help it. And it comes out in torrents. And so you have to actually spend some time sifting through all the joy and the praise and the love and devotion in order to find the thing that he's actually trying to say. And um, turns out that it was quite common for ancient writers to digress in their letters. This is not, not new. Paul just happens to be really good at it, okay? He's very good at the, the digressions. Um, the challenge then for us is actually, is actually twofold. I mean, the first is that we have to wade through the digressions um, in order to find the heart of Paul's message. So you've you got to acknowledge the fact that there's a digression here, and you've got to kind of wade through it to try to find what he, is, what he is trying to communicate to this particular group of people at that particular moment in time. But the second piece of this, and it's the one that I think is easy to forget, at least it is for me, is that we can also draw some meaning out of those digressions because there is a purpose behind the digressions. It isn't just Paul losing control for a few minutes. There's actually something that he's trying to say when he goes to these digressions. It's kind of like he, he, it just hits him. And I gotta, it's, it's almost like kind of theological squirrel. And he's got to go and he's got to follow that rabbit trail for just a couple of minutes and he's taking you on that journey. And I think that this is an important piece of when we're reading for Paul. And it's um, exactly what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at uh, a digression. Here, I want you to see this, hopefully. And the click from that, we're getting down to help me out. Okay, so um, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, by the way. If you've got a Bible, you may want to pull that one out. Uh, as you know, because this is a summer series and we're spending time in Ephesians, you may want to bring a Bible with you, at least have a Bible app. And if you don't have a Bible app, by all means, download the Thrive um, uh, uh, phone app, and uh, we've got a Bible version there for you too. <clears throat> so in chapter chapter three, you see this this verse one. He starts for this reason, and then and then in verse fourteen, he picks that same phrase up again for this reason, and everything that happens in between then verses two through thirteen is a digression. Okay, so we've got, yeah, we got nine verses of digression that's going on here. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, an apostle, and then he goes on the digression, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot, for this reason, and then we're going to pick that one up next week. So we've got this digression that's happening in chapter 3, begin, um, verses uh, 2 through 13, and that's what we're going we're gonna to explore today is this digression, because I think there's some really interesting things in here. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Um, most of you know that when I preach, I usually preach out of the New International Version of the Bible, which um, is a good, solid translation for, for, um, for preaching. But because we're doing some hardcore kind of Bible study, um, I'm going to switch 
today, and I'm going to use the English Standard Version, which is a very accurate um, uh, translation of the Bible, and we need that accuracy for some of the work that we're going to do. Does this make sense? So if, if what I'm reading on the screen is different than the NIV that you have in your hand, hey, that's cool. Uh, the NIV, great translation. I love it. But uh, I really want some accuracy here, and so we're going to use the ESV for today, English Standard Version. It's a relatively new translation of the Bible, but it's very, very accurate, and we want to, we want to use that one. So we're going to start with Ephesians 3. Why am I even holding on to that? Okay, Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay? So, he starts this digression, and let's be honest, this is a little confusing, isn't it? I mean, this is not the easiest thing to understand. But there's a couple of things I want to pull out here. He says, first of all, a stewardship of God's grace. And the word here that's used in Greek has this idea with, um, carried in it of managing on the behalf of another person. So I don't necessarily own it, but I have been given it, given to it, so I have to manage it. Somebody's given this to me, and I have to manage it. So what is he talking about here? I have the stewardship of God's grace. I have to manage the grace that God has given me. It's a really interesting um, thought, if you think about it. And then he talks um, next about this idea of mystery. He actually mentions the word trice, uh, twice. And what, what's really cool is that the uh, Greek term here is mysterion. Isn't that cool? It's just fun to say, mysterion. And he talks about this mystery, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, and you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And he talks about this mystery. And, and for me, I'm like, okay, what, what's he talking about here? What's, what's the mystery? What, what is all of this stuff? Well, fortunately, um, for us, he answers this in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So let's get this straight. I have been given a stewardship of grace, and this grace has given me insight into the mystery. And if you want to know what the mystery is, here it is. The mystery is that the non-Jewish people, what we call Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise. And the message here, the message here is very, very simple. You belong. You belong. If you're a non-Jewish person, which most of us here are, we belong. Now, we, we touched on this briefly in chapter 2. Um, because Christ brought peace to all, he brought all near to him. And this would have been news to the Jewish people. Because for centuries, for millennia, they were God's chosen, right? And now... This mystery through Christ is, eh, there's more to it than that. There might be others who are involved. The Gentiles, 
the people who are not non-Jewish. And the message then for us is this idea that you belong because we're all kind of non-Jewish. The fact of the matter is that Paul hadn't preached this, you and I would probably not be here today. Because at some point, we can trace our lineage, and we might not actually be able to do that. We can trace our spiritual lineage because somebody followed Jesus and somebody before that followed Jesus and told someone and somebody before that followed. Do you understand? This makes sense, right? So the fact of the matter is, when Paul says that Gentiles, that non-Jewish people, you are the beneficiaries of that. That's why you're here today. I think this is an important thing, that you belong. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter what your last name is. And by the way, it doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter your zip code or your bank balance. It doesn't matter what your past is. You too can belong to the family of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You belong. The mystery in Christ is that you can belong and to partake in the promise of Christ. It's a powerful kind of thing. And then he keeps going. Verse 7. Of this gospel, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. There's that word again, grace. Which has given me, uh, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, uh, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now let's break this down just a little bit. Try to understand this more. First of all, he says, I've been made a minister. And the word here is diakonos. Don't be impressed, you too can look it up. Okay, And it's where we get the word deacon. How many of you grew up in a church with deacons? Right? Yes. If you uh, grew up in certain traditions, uh, you, you have heard this term before. And Paul says, I have been made a diakonos. And he says it's minister. And the idea here is a manager or someone who administrates. Okay? So you have someone who is given a certain amount of authority to do something on behalf of of someone else, diakonos. And then verse 8, he talks about this grace that was given to him. And the grace is twofold. First is to preach to the Gentiles. Because up until that point, more or less, the Gentiles were kind of forgotten. Why? Because the Jews were the chosen people. Why on earth would we have to worry about what Gentiles think, right? But Paul says, I've been called to talk to the non-Jewish people. That's part of the grace that he's been given. But then, here's the second one, and this one's really interesting to me. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. So what was the mystery again? Oh yeah, the non-Jews are included too. So not only is he preaching to the non-Jews, he also has to let the Jews know that the non-Jews are in the club. Can you imagine how well this went over? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Probably, uh, probably not so great. It seems to me that the in crowd rarely wants outsiders. Sometimes even in church. And brothers and sisters, we have to resist that. We must resist that. And, and here's, here's the thing. What we're trying to do here, what we're trying to do here at Thrive, I don't know about anybody else's church because I'm not responsible for them. I'm just responsible for this one. The thing that I want to do more than else is I want to dig a well. 
I want to dig a well because Jesus is a living water and I want to offer the living well. And that means that some people are going to enter, they are going to drink from the well, and they are going to leave. And they may come back, and I hope they do. That's the whole point. We're just digging the well. We're not trying to corral everybody into a big area and put some fences, which means either you do this or you don't do it. No, you belong, you can drink from the well. And that's up to you how often you come to drink to the well. And, you know, it's probably a good idea that you at least do it weekly, <laughs> right? But there's the well. And the thing that we do as a church is we offer the well. We offer the well. We offer the well. We offer the living water. That's what we do. And it's the living water that will hydrate people. Not me. Not you. Not lists of rules. Not regulations. Not perfect theology, which I don't even know what that is. The idea here is to just offer the living water and let that hydrate people. There is no in-crowd at the well. The well is available for everybody. Paul continues, so that through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Hmm. Interested in this. So that through the church the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There's something spiritual going on here, but notice he says this was according to the eternal purpose. Here's the thing. There's two things I want you to, to think about here. First is this. You are not here by accident. We are not here by accident, there is eternal purpose. There is no way that God brings a group of people together just accidentally. That doesn't happen. Uh, these are orchestrated for a reason. He has called us together to do something. There's eternal purpose. And secondly, this idea of eternal purpose is a beautiful thing because I think belonging was God's intent all along. And I mentioned this before, but, you know, God used to walk with Adam in the evening in the garden. He was with him. And then when the exodus occurred, there was a tent, a tabernacle, and God came down to dwell with his people. And when they finally conquered the land of Canaan, they built a temple, and his glory came down and filled the temple. God's plan has always been to be with us. We belong to that. Does that make sense? That's what he's after, and we, we pray this before every ser service. Um, there's this little passage in the New Testament that says, where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is too. So one of the things we do is we say, God, we're gathered in your name. And I think there's probably 15 or 20 of us. So we just blew past the one or you know, two or more by tenfold. So we know Jesus is here. <laughs> Because he wants to spend time with his people. It's always what he's wanted. And he's trying to make that kind of point with his church. 
The point of belonging is this is where you belong. This is the group of people who says, here's the well, come drink, come hang out with us. We want you to be hydrated too. That's what we're here for. That's why we're gathered together. And there's this benefit to belonging. In Christ, we have two things. First of all, we have boldness. We, collectively, have boldness and access with confidence to God. Okay? So, two thoughts here. This idea of boldness carries with it the idea of speaking truth. We actually run into this at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6. The same word that's, that's used here. And so we have this idea of boldness, and this is the ability to speak truth. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that, because sometimes I think we can go a little bit too far with speaking the truth. There's another letter that Paul wrote. He says, speaking the truth in love, right? Really easy to speak the truth part, especially if you're angry. Kind of hard to, to do it in the love part, if you've noticed. But I think that this idea of being able to speak truth, this boldness, is, a, is the idea of be, being able, having the ability to be honest about things. There's a certain amount of candor. There's a certain amount of, of, of vulnerability with, with that. We can be honest. Why? Because we already belong. It's not like if you're, if you're dis... It's not like you have to keep a mask up in order to stay a part of the family. That's not the point. The point is you belong, you can be honest. And, and the thing that strikes me about this is that we can be honest with others, but here's the thing that's so difficult to do. It's to be honest with ourselves. Isn't it? It's harder to be... It's so easy to point out and go, man, you just... You got, you got a problem here. You've got an issue. This is something you've got to deal with, but it's a lot harder for me to go, you know what, I've got a problem. I've got an issue. I've got something I've got to deal with. It's much harder to deal with, your, with yourself. It's much harder for you to be honest, for us to be honest, I need to include myself in this, with where we are with God. It's much harder for us to be honest with ourselves about where we are with others. It's much harder for us to be honest with ourselves about our life circumstances and the responsibility that we have for it, isn't it? Nobody wants to deal with that. We don't like looking in the mirror and having to deal with that issue, whatever it happens to be. And I know you've got one because you're human. We all do. So there's this idea of boldness that's in play here, that we can be honest with others, but we can also be honest with ourselves. Why? Because we belong. God's love is not going to change. The fact that you're part of the family doesn't change because you're messed up. I, I talk to people all the time, and the message is clear that somehow they're unworthy. You know what? So am I. That's the point of grace. You don't have to have everything all together in order to come here. If that were the case, I need to sit down right now. Because I don't have it all together. Just ask my wife. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that we're all a little bit screwed up. And if we were just honest about that, I messed up, you're messed up, but we're going to try to heal together because that's what Jesus has in mind. I want to be part of that kind of church. I want to belong to that. Because I think it's true and I think it's honest and I think we can be bold about it. And secondly, we have access to God with confidence through our faith. Why? Because we belong. 
Because you have a Father who loves you, who has not abandoned any one of us, and so we have access to Him, and we can go to Him with all of our mess, all of our junk, all of our foolishness, and we say, God, I need some help with this. And that access and the boldness sometimes needs to start right here before we worry about what's happening out there. You with me? Yeah. I think so. I'm puzzled over what all this might mean for us. We have boldness and access to God. And when we think about that, it's kind of exciting and it's a little scary to have that kind of empowerment. But here's the other thing. We, together, now know what the mystery is, too, that, that belonging can encompass everyone. Every single one of us. And more. That love expands Love actually opens the gates wider. I think that means that each one of us is called to administer good news and grace too. Now, I want to talk about this idea of, of, of managing a little bit. Because I think all of us ultimately are in the distribution business. That you are in in the distribution business. And here's what I mean by that. When we talk about managing administrating, I work for a lot of different companies. In fact, my dad and I had this conversation a few years before he died. Um, my dad worked for the same company for 30 plus years. He retired and then worked for a contractor doing the exact same job just for a different company. So he worked for two companies' entire career. I think I worked for eight companies in the first 10 years of my career. <laughs> He thought I was crazy and I thought he was nuts, you know, so it kind of worked out for the two of us. But every manager that I had has a certain amount of responsibility and very often it's for cutting costs, increasing efficiency and those sorts of things. How many of you have managers like that? Right? There's this idea that we have, the, as managers, that we have to conserve things, that we have to preserve things, that we have to manage it well. It means we have to be tight with it. We have to... That's not the kind of management that we're talking about in Jesus. It's not to conserve, but to dispense. We have to manage things by making sure more people get this. That's the kind of management we're talking about to administer this in a very generous, very open sort of way. Is this making sense? That's the kind of management, that's the kind of diakonos, deacon, management, administering this type of thing over and over to just be very open and generous about it. We have to dispense things like Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's about good news and those first two words that we talked about several weeks ago. Grace and peace. What would it be like to administer grace and peace to the people that you see around you? Who do you know that needs a little bit of good news? And what I mean by good news, I want you to hear this. It's not... The good news isn't, do you know where you're going to go when you die? That's not the good news. That's not the question to ask. But rather, what circumstances are they dealing with? What kind of nonsense is in their life? What kind of misery, what kind of problem can you help alleviate in some way to show the love of Christ because people will never understand that God loves them if you don't love them? 
Are you connecting these dots? And this is a big deal, I think. Who do you know that needs good news? And so here's what I think the digression tells us. This is a digression, right? This isn't even the main meat of the whole, the whole letter, but here's the digression. That you belong, you dispense, but you don't have to do it by yourself. You can have boldness and access to God to help you. That's what I think this digression is all about. 